Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today. Uh, those of you that remember that service was at 10, we'll see who shows up here in about five minutes for the uh, 11 o'clock service. Um, I also want to mention that there's a number of people from our Chinese community that are going to be a part of a summer camp this coming, this coming weekend. Um, that the Chinese, the Chinese ch Christians from uh, St. John and Fredericton and Moncton and PEI and Halifax have kind of organized a joint summer camp that they're going to be all visiting together. And so we're excited for the members of our congregation that will be a part of that and for the ways in which God will move in your midst and uh, be impacting your lives. Um, I really hope today, too, that before you leave here, um, that you'll have the opportunity just to introduce yourself to the people sitting next to you. You're probably sitting next to people that you don't know. Um, and maybe they come from, maybe they're 1130-ites and you're an 11 o'clock-ite. Uh, take the opportunity to get to know some names over the summer as you get seated around uh, different people. I know that you have a spot that you sit in every week. <laughs> and so does somebody else. So get to know that person, and then maybe there's something about the space that you like to sit in and the space that they like to sit in tells you something about each other. I don't know, but uh, get the chance uh, to meet them. And a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Maybe you showed up here this morning, looked in the room and said, not a chance, and went home. Uh, there is a, an overflow, and there will be all summer across the hall as well for people who would like to be in a, a less crowded space. I don't know, but you, maybe you had this experience with, with in your home growing up, maybe with your mom or your dad or your grandparent or something, but you would ask them a question like, hey, mom, what's for supper? And this would be a very specific question that you would ask, and you would really like just a very simple, accurate answer about it. But instead, they would say, your mom would say something like this, have you cleaned your room? you think, that's not what I asked about. And why are you now asking me if I clean my room? Right? Or can I have the car? And they would say, well, did you mow the lawn? And suddenly you realize, I asked a very specific question about something really, really important. But for whatever reason, may be some kind of parenting intuition. They were able to ask a better question that really got at what was going on in our lives. This is kind of what Jesus does in the passage that we're going to look at today as we continue in our parable series, looking in Luke chapter 12. Um, the parables are these incredible stories that Jesus would tell that surprise us. We think we know what's going on, we think we know how it's going to end, and then at the last minute it turns upside down and we suddenly find ourselves in an uncomfortable space where Jesus introduces an idea that challenges our understanding of who he is and what he's like and how it is that he acts, and we're left just kind of sitting there awkwardly thinking, no. No, no, no. That's not what God is like, is it? God wouldn't do that or say that or include them or welcome them, would he? And in that surprise and in that tension and in that awkwardness, Jesus is inviting you and I to step in and sit there for a second and say, what is it about God and his kingdom and the way that he works that I don't know about? and that I need to grow into. And Jesus, again and again, as he walks through these parables, continues to surprise people who thought they knew what God is like with what he is really like. And the same is going to happen today as we look at a passage in Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. It has four main sections. Uh, a gentleman asks an honest question. Jesus gives an answer, which seems a little bit surprising. So Jesus then, to further kind of cement his teaching, offers a parable, and then Jesus gives a summary statement. Let's look at it together. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. We're just going to read the first two verses. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, 
Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Can you imagine siblings fighting over an inheritance? It was an ancient thing that just happened in Old Test- or New Testament times. T- tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, which is not an endearing term. Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator between you? Then he said to him, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So you have Jesus getting asked this question, an honest question by someone whose family members have passed away. He's supposed to get some inheritance. And he asks Jesus not to be impartial, not to hear all of the stories and sit down and make a wise, just decision He's already decided what Jesus needs to do and says, tell my brother to do this. Tell him to give me my share of the inheritance. He wants Jesus to take his side. Now, I relate to this guy because I sometimes pray this way too. I have already decided what God needs to do and I give him his marching orders in my prayers. God, here's what I need done. Here is the time frame I need it done by. Here's all the people you need to control and get to do what I want them to do in order for everything to work out perfectly. Am I the only one that prays this way sometimes? This is how this man is approaching Jesus. And Jesus' response to this man is interesting. Sometimes, again, when, Jesus, when someone asks Jesus a question, he answers another question that wasn't asked, a question that they didn't really want to talk about, a question that probably they were hoping that we could avoid. I, they wanted something else done, but Jesus brings it back to the real issue. And the real issue for this man, Jesus says, is greed. It's greed. And he asks it in a question, though, about fairness, which is interesting We do this often. We mask evil with virtue. Satan tempted Jesus by asking him to do good things, but he had another intention in mind. We sometimes do this too. We have selfishness gets wrapped up as goodness. Anger gets wrapped up as righteousness. This man comes and his real motive is greed. Jesus unmasks it and lays him for bear in this story. And then he sums it up by saying that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And the word here he uses is zoe. It, it speaks to a spiritual life. He says, what you need is not more money. What you need is a life that's rich with God. You've misdiagnosed your problem. And I'm going to offer you the solution that you really need, the solution that will truly make all the difference in your life. And so to further cement his, his teaching here, Jesus tells this parable. It's found in verses 6. Let's read verse 16 and 17. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now let's stop there for a second because before we go any further, there's a detail in verse 16 that we have to get absolutely clear or this won't make any sense to us. Look back at verse 16. How did the farmer make more money than other farmers? You can say it out loud. What was the secret? It was the soil. A certain man had soil. It was a better soil. And a better soil produces a better harvest. Who controls the soil? Who created the earth? 
who waters the earth. The earth is the Lord's. The earth is such an important theme throughout Scripture. These Jewish listeners, as soon as they heard that God talking or Jesus talking about land, would have thought about God creating land, God giving Israelites land as a gift. It was their inheritance. It was their possession. It was a thing that was going to make all the difference for them. He's talking here about God's gift to them, a gift of grace in the gift of land. It makes all the difference. All the farmers got up early. All the farmers watered the land. They all seeded, they all planted, they all harvested. His land grew more and produced more income. Why? Because the soil was better. It was grace. It was grace. Theologians would call this common grace. Those gifts that we have in our life, they don't lead to salvation, but they give us better circumstances maybe than other people have. And we can relate to this. It's not a reflection of their righteousness. It's not a sign of their commitment to God. It's just sometimes some people have better circumstances than other people. This man had soil that produced a greater harvest, which led to greater income, versus other people who worked just as hard, maybe harder. It's maybe, imagine at the Olympics, it's the 100-meter dash. And you've got an obvious start line. This is the start line. This is the end line. There's 100 meters. But some people have to start at the 150-yard mark. Some people start at the 100-yard mark. Some people start at the 10. It's not fair. The ground under everybody's feet does not produce equally. For example, for me, I was born into a family with two loving parents. It was a middle-class family. I never wanted for anything. If I needed new shoes, we could get them. If we needed groceries, if we needed to go to a school trip, it wasn't an issue. My parents loved me and they said, you know, you can do things. They recognized gifts in my life. They encouraged me forward. I was born in a small town raised by lots of wonderful people. I grew up in a country where there wasn't war and there wasn't famine and there wasn't political instability. I went to a great school system. I grew up on a patch of land that produced a, a mighty yield and it had nothing to do with me. I didn't choose which family I got born into. I didn't choose which country I got born into. I didn't choose the economic uh, status of my parents. It is a gift of grace that I stand on the plot of land that I stand on. And it's not my doing. But I'm accountable for how I steward what has been given to me. Now, this issue raises all kinds of matters of unfairness. And I appreciate that. For some of you here today, you might say the, le- the piece of ground I stand on, it's got rocks, thistles, it's contaminated. It doesn't think as much as I work, it's not going to grow anything. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But this man has a yield that's bigger than everybody else's through new, no effort of his own. It's God's grace in his life, and he's got a decision to make. So let's see what he does, starting at verse 18. Then the farmer said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then Who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be. This is Jesus' commentary. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, 
but is not rich towards God. So this man is living on a plot of ground that is making him wealthier. He's already wealthy. It's making him more wealthy, and he has a decision to make. And I've got it here on the screen. I've kind of underlined maybe some of the themes that Jesus has kind of highlighted as he tells this parable to help the meaning come clear to us. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And then there, I will store up whose surplus? It's mine. It's my surplus. And then I'm going to say to who? To me. I'm going to have a conversation with somebody really important to help me get a, like a really good idea of what to do in this situation. Oh, I'm going to consult me. And I'm going to ask me about what I should do with me. And what do I do? I decide I've got a plan, and I set it into motion. This is kind of like somebody who won the lottery or someone whose family left them a whole lot of money, and then they walk around strutting around like they're this big business person that's made all this cash through their own ingenuity. That's what this farmer is doing. It's almost comical. Now, let's be clear. Bigger barns and wealth and money are not the issue here. The issue is with the heart of the farmer. What Jesus wants this man to know is that the problem that you have isn't with money, it's with your heart. So getting more money won't fix a problem that is with your heart. The belief that if I have more, I will be content or I will have a rich spiritual life is not true. I could list many examples. I remember reading a story about J.D. Rockefeller, one of the greatest, wealthiest industrialists in the U.S. ever, was asked one time because he said that he really wasn't happy with the amount of money that he'd had. When they asked him how much more he would need, do you know what he said? A little more. The elusive, just a little bit more. The issue with the farmer is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. Money is neutral. It's not positive, it's not negative, it simply reflects what's in the heart of the owner. I remember reading uh, one time Susie Orman, who's a a wealth um, guru of sorts, and she talks about this formative moment in her life growing up. Her dad owned a business, and she said, suddenly that business one day caught fire, and we were kind of standing outside the building watching it burn, her dad's hard work and life savings. She said, and then my dad ran into the burning building opened up the cash drawer, grabbed the metal box that had been around the flames that was searing hot and ran out of the building clutching this metal steaming hot box of money, burning his hands, scarring his arms. And she said, that moment, I saw something in my dad that I never want to have in my own life, an unhealthy relationship with money. Jesus says to the farmer, your giant barns are billboards declaring your spiritual poverty, because you believe that if you have more, it will fix what is ultimately a heart problem. The man in this passage has a greed problem, and greed is impossible to see in ourselves. It's so, so fascinating. For example, I bet you when I read the parable of the rich farmer here, I bet you nobody said, yikes, that's me. Oh my goodness, that's me. I'm the person that's building bigger barns. Oh my goodness, honey, look, we got to go home and we got to make some changes because that is about us, right? How many of you actually said that, oh, that's me? Nobody. How many of you sat there and thought, oh, I hope so-and-so's here this morning because they need to hear this message. (laughs) Oh yeah, this is a message for so-and-so. This is totally them. How many of you thought that? Let's, yeah, let's be honest. 
Greed is not something that we see in ourselves. And the difference is whether you see what you have as a gift or whether you see it as yours. You're either a steward of what you have been given by God or you are an owner. And if you think you are an owner, then you will be susceptible to the sin of greed. But if you see that the ground that you stand on, no, not because of anything you've done, has blessed your life in ways that you could not have ever imagined, and you see I have been given this and I'm going to be held accountable for this and I'm going to make sure I leverage this everything I can for the Lord and His work, then you are a steward. It's interesting to me in verse 20, Jesus has this kind of ominous kind of ending to the parable. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Some translations say required. This is a financial lending term. This is Jesus saying, your life was loaned to you, but that loan is going to get called in someday. And when it gets called in, you're going to stand before the arbitrator or the judge and have to give an account for how it was that you steward the one life that you were given to live. To which in my mind, I go back and think about the very beginning of the parable or the passage where Jesus says to the man, I think sarcastically, am I the judge? Am I the arbitrator? Of course he is. Jesus says there's going to be a day. All of us, our lives are loaned to us. All of us, whether we like it or not, have a certain blessing that God has given to us through our life. And each of us will have to give an account for how it is that we have used what we have been given. And the defining line that decides how you will do that is whether you see yourself as the owner, it's mine, I can do with it what I like, or it's I'm a steward. God has blessed me. And I'm going to use the blessings that he has given to me to multiply, to go beyond what God has given to me. I'm going to take the little bit that he's given me, and it's going to make a huge impact because of my faithfulness to it. And then Jesus ends with this challenging thing, which I think is on purpose, be rich towards God. He challenges this by saying to the farmer and to us today, to be rich towards God. Now, that's so vague, which is, I think, on purpose. If Jesus had said, just tithe, then we could say, oh, good, I can do that. I can get my mind around it. I can do the math and figure it out, and then it's good. I'll give God his portion, then I can do whatever I like with the rest, right? But it's not what Jesus says. He says, live a life that is rich towards God. This is about quality, not quantity. This is about ensuring that the whole of my life is devoted to Him, which is the proper response of grace. When you recognize all that Christ has done for you and all that He's given to you and all the blessings you have that come through no effort of your own, your only response is to live richly towards Him in response. Jesus gives this kind of vague, be rich towards God kind of answers which challenges us and keeps us from reducing generosity or our life to a simple percentage. Now, I offer to you today, a percentage is a helpful starting place. Um, I don't know about your heart. My heart does not naturally lean towards generosity. It doesn't naturally go there. I'm not always tripping over myself saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe I gave away all the money. I don't have any money for groceries. That's not my problem. Maybe for some of you, that is. And the scripture does teach about giving a percentage of your income away. And I like to think about it as training wheels. 
How many of you started to ride a bike with training wheels? You can put up your hand. We won't laugh at you too badly. How many of you are still using the training wheels? You put training wheels on the back of your bike to keep it from falling over, to help you develop some of the rhythms and the patterns and the muscle memory so that you can keep going in the right direction. And then after you've mastered it, you take them off so you can go, right? You've never seen anybody in the Tour de France with training wheels still on their bike. In the same way, generosity, using, starting with a percentage giving, helps you get started in a certain direction because it's unnatural. And you need to train your heart to be rich towards God. But Jesus says it's not then about once those training wheels, they got to come off. And now you just live your life in full devotion to Him. And you're no longer keeping track. Trying to do the math. Well, I drove someone to church and that probably cost me a buck fifty. So stopping that game and saying, Lord... When I think of all you've done for me, I want to live a rich life towards you. I think about today, think about the service. We talked about sending 30-some people to camp. Oh, by the way, El Salvador, people have been so generous for that. We saw all those kids rush out to kids' program this morning. Though They and many more are coming back for our kids' camps, which we're hiring summer students from, from our own budget. And so again and again and again, generosity, heart's richness towards God allows us to have opportunities to bless people again and again and again. Because a rich life towards God isn't just about pleasing God, it's about helping see His kingdom come in our day today through our generosity. So let me just close with a couple of thoughts, kind of challenges, because I recognize we're all maybe in different spaces today as we talk about this issue. Maybe today you might just say, I don't like this topic. <laughs> and I don't like that you're talking about it. And that's fine. Um, my prayer for you would be that you would not push it away, but that you would be open to letting the Lord speak to you in this area. Maybe if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you've got to deal with this eventually. You've got to open up your heart to the Lord and let Him have lordship over this area of your life. Maybe for some of you today, it's the fairness factor. You work really hard. And you've sacrificed greatly maybe to be here even in Canada. And you came from a career where you were a professional and now you're working in the service industry and it doesn't feel fair. You can bring that to the Lord and talk to Him about that. He is not going to run from you. Maybe for some of you today you think, you know, um, I want to be rich towards God but I spend a lot of time comparing myself to people who have more than I do. And I have a really hard time taking a look at the plot of ground that I stand on and recognizing God's provision and goodness to me. And maybe today, that's where you start. Maybe today you think, God, I want to be rich to you, but I have to admit, I spend a lot of time comparing what I have to others and I recognize I have so much more. I have so much more. And you're asking the Lord to show you what it looks like to be rich towards Him in that. Maybe for some of you, and this is kind of where I've been thinking about it this week, I've been thinking about this image that someday I'm going to stand before the Lord and have to give an account for the plot of ground I grew up on and lived on and how I stewarded the gifts that He gave me. And my reflection as I thought about it this week is, I want to look forward to that moment. I want to look forward to it so I can say, I wasn't perfect 
but here's what I try to do. Here's what we did with this. This is how we kind of approached this situation. And we did it, Lord, to, to please you and to be, show our gratitude for the mercy of, in our lives and that I would almost welcome the opportunity to have a conversation with Jesus about how it is that we use the gifts that he has given to us. So my prayer for you is that you would ask the Spirit to help you wrestle with what it looks like to grow in richness to him. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that no matter the things we come to talk to you about, you know what we need to talk about most. And maybe today this is that topic. And we've been trying to avoid it. We've been trying to run from it. We don't want to think about it. Things have been difficult. Inflation has been so challenging. But imagine for us today to have the opportunity to have peace. Lord, today we thank you for the gifts that you have given to us, for the blessings in our life, for the little plot of ground that we stand on, whether we like the amount, whether we're so tempted to spend so much of our time comparing it to other people, may we have eyes to take account for all the gifts that you have given to us. And Lord, help us in the journey to be stewards, to see that everything that we have is loaned and that someday it will be called into on account. And Lord, help us to look forward to that day so we can stand before you with joyful hearts, being able to share our thoughts, our rationale, and how it was, Lord, with a sense of peace about it all. We thank you for your gifts. May we continue to be, have eyes to see them, we pray. Amen.